Uh, that's what, yeah, just want to check. Yep. <laughs> So, uh, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today, I'm here with Damien Real. Uh, Damien, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. So, uh, I, like many other people who are maybe familiar with you, uh, is probably because of the TED Talk that you did um, about melodies. So, I don't know. I was gonna, I was gonna provide the summation, but perhaps you'd be a better person to explain in like sixty seconds what the TED Talk was about, and then we can jump into me asking some questions about it. Of course. Uh, what I've done is made 470 billion melodies and copyrighted them all. Uh, the way that I did that was much like you can brute force a password by going AAA, AAB, AAC until it uh, picks your password. Um, I did that with music. So I went da 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 re, da 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 mi, da 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 fa, until I mathematically exhausted every melody that's ever been and every melody that ever can be. Uh, and I wrote them all to disk. As soon as they're written to disk, they're copyrighted automatically. Uh, so I've copyrighted 470 billion melodies, uh, and then I placed everything into the public domain. And the reason I did that is to be able to protect songwriters who were accused of you stole my melody lawsuits, uh, where they may have never heard that melody before in their lives. Uh, so this is a way to say that maybe melodies are um, not co as copyrightable as we might have thought, and maybe people uh, should not be sued as often for you stole my melody lawsuits. Mm. Okay, so you basically took every single melody that doesn't already exist and put it in the public domain? That's right. Uh, both that, uh, every melody that doesn't yet exist, and I also exhausted every melody that already has existed. So in that sense, perhaps I've infringed on every copyright. Yeah, that was going to be my first question. Has no one tried to sue you about this yet? <laughs> no, uh, no one has, and I've, I'm often asked that question. And my answer to that is, gosh, I really hope that someone sues me, uh, because that would be a great uh, court case to be able to demonstrate um, the the factual basis of a melody. That uh, facts cannot be copyrighted, and what my computer cranked out at three hundred thousand melodies per second is purely factual. Uh, there is no there is no creativity to those melodies that were cranked out. Instead, those are merely mathematics. Uh, and so, how could I have creatively uh, infringed someone's copyright? Uh, if it's just a computer marching through combinatorial possibilities. So all that's to say is I hope that somebody sues me because then I can make, I can make that argument before court and then we'll have a really good court decision showing that uh, that these you stole my melody lawsuits are unfounded. Say this went to court and someone did come along and sue you, right? What do you do? You, would you envision winning the case? And would that set precedent for like all copyright cases of this form in the United States? Yeah, it really depends. Uh, you hit it on uh, what is set precedent for which courts. So if it's a United States district court case, that is the lowest level. You have the district court, then you have the appellate court, and then you usually have a Supreme Court. So if this happened at the district court case, uh, and then I got sued, uh, certainly that, uh, and I won at the district court level, that would uh, only be precedential for that particular court, say the Southern District of New York, uh, but it would not necessarily be precedential for California, uh, where you might also get sued. And it certainly would not be precedential in the UK. Um, but so that in that is uh, New York would I'm sorry California would not have to follow the New York even though they could follow the U court so and and so the New York case could inf influence California and it might influence the UK uh, but is not binding upon each of those courts. Okay, that's interesting. Um, so well, your hope would be then to lose initially 
and then get bumped up to the Supreme Court. <laughs> or, or no, or, or or win initially, and then, then they would appeal it up yeah, to the, the Supreme Court, right? Yeah, uh, right? But but I'm guessing that, number one, nobody's going to sue me because the argument, arguments I'm making are very compelling. And there's really no upside to anyone suing me because uh, what are the, you know, I'm making exactly $0 uh, with this project. Uh, and so why would they, you know, it's not like I'm stealing money out of anyone's pockets. Um, there's only downside for the music industry if they were to sue me. Uh, that is the only, the only outcome that would be... Uh, uh, really happened would be that uh, either they would win and get zero dollars or they would lose and get this precedent against them. Mm. Okay. So I'm going to take off like, cause from a legal standpoint, that all makes sense. Right. And I studied law at, at university. Um, so I, I think you got a case, man. And I, I, I think you, you're probably right in the reason why, why no one has sued you. Okay. So I'm going to take off my lawyer's hat for a second or like my, could have been a lawyer's hat. <laughs> sure. Uh, I never did the IPLS or the bar. Uh, but then as a guitarist and a songwriter, I'm like, hang on a second here. Are you saying that? Because to me, inherently, it feels like the melody is an inherent part of the thing that you've created. And I feel like as a musician, I want, to be able to sue people who steal that from me so like so because you you also mentioned in your in your ted talk and stuff that you're a musician as well so like I am. what is your what does what your musician's head say on this like do you not so, feel uh, the ownership of a tune once you've composed it yes uh, so it, maybe i should give listeners a bit more background i have a bachelor's degree in music so i have a four-year degree uh in music uh, so I, I was going to be a music teacher i also have a law degree and i'm also a coder so the law plus tech plus uh plus uh, uh plus music is part of my dna and from a musician with my musician hat on think about what aspects uh, there are of a song uh one of them is the chord structure right the chords that i have is very much a part of my song but that is not copyrightable Right. You cannot copyright a chord changes uh, because the courts have said there are only so many chord changes. Right. Uh, so you can't have a monopoly. One person can't have a monopoly for their life plus 70 years on the chord structure. OK, mm -hmm. so that's one aspect of the song. A second aspect of the song is uh, also the uh, drums, uh, the rhythm. Uh, and so the, the, the beats that you have, especially in hip hop and others, that is certainly a huge part of the song. But the courts have again and again said that beats are not copyrightable. You can't copyright the um, oh I forget to, uh, who the uh, the something shuffle uh, but anyway there's 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 a famous beat that is repeated on thousands of songs but nobody can copyright that beat. Um, timbre is a very big part of any song, but you can't copyright timbre, right? You can't copyright copyright this sound of this kind of thing. Um, so anyway, so there's there's all sorts of elements that are inherently part of a song that are not copyrightable. So really, the question is uh, much like chords, much like beats. Our melodies just amongst those other things that in in isolation are not copyrightable. Um, and the reason uh, an example of why that might be true is that um, if you think about uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G is the same melody as twinkle, twinkle, little star, which is the same melody as blah, blah, black sheep, have you any wool? Right. Each of those has the same melody, but they are different songs. I say that to people that are in their you know, 50s and they're like, gosh, I've lived 50 years. I've never realized that those three have to share the same melody. And the reason for that is because they're different songs. Even though they share the same melody, they are different songs and they occupy different spaces in our heads. Um, so really, as a musician, uh, what are you, you know, if the Baba Black Sheep people were to sue the Twinkle Twinkle people, um, the Twinkle Twinkle people would say, what the hell? Nobody even associates my song with your song. 
they're different songs. We can each share the same melody without having to fight this thing out. Let's just stop suing each other and just make more music. Um, because what is it as a musician? What am I making? Am I making a song so that nobody else can share any attribute of my song? No, that's stupid. I, as a musician, make song because it is worth making. I want to make art, right? And so um, it's not an exclusionary activity. Um, we can all make art, and all of our arts can be essentially, uh, you know, putting forth to humanity to make humanity better. We shouldn't think of making art as something that is exclusive to me. Uh, I should think about it. You know, we're all drawing from the same melodic well. <laughs> there are only so many melodies, and we're all drawing from them. Mm. See, you're still making sense, but then when I really think about it, I'm like, yeah, but but what if I came up with this really catchy tune? <laughs> but, I, but what if you came up with that really catchy tune, and then you realized later that Bach came up with that same really catchy tune, and Mozart also came up with that really catchy tune, or somebody in the 1950s, still under copyright, came up with that really catchy tune, should that 1950s person be able to sue you? Because, but the answer is no, because you came it up with it independently, right? But the problem with the case law is under the George Harrison case, that person could sue you. Mm. And that person could say, you know what? You subconsciously infringed the 1950s person because you may have heard it over a supermarket uh, loudspeaker or you may have heard it in you know, some, some waiting room somewhere. Um, so that's the problem I'm trying to solve is that, yeah, you came up with this really catchy tune, but somebody else probably came up with it for you. Mm. And so should they be able to sue you over that really catchy tune? How many melodies did you say you brute forced? 300. 12,000? Uh, uh, no, uh, far more than that. Uh, uh, we, our initial data set was 68 billion with a B. Right. Um, we are now up to 470 billion with a B. So okay. 470,000 million. Okay. That's quite a bit more than I said. <laughs> so how can you propose that there's the chance that people will make the same melody when we're talking about 470 or 4,700 billion. billion? Yeah. Yeah, 470 billion. Um, th so the odds of someone accidentally landing on the same melody, uh, thats it's hard to be able to put a, uh, you know, because are you talking about a three-note melody? Are you talking about a 10-note melody? Are you talking about a 50-note melody, right? So then uh, it really depends on the, the duration of the melody. Um, uh, but I will say, I will give you the mathematics on how many combinations there are. So if you think about um, the up, uh, the number of ups here, you think do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So that's yeah. eight. And if you have a three-note melody, uh, that is the mathematics on that is eight uh, to the third power. So eight times eight times eight, uh, which ends up being, uh, what is eight times eight times eight? Uh, someone is going to be able to tell me much, uh, much faster than I'm able to put it here. Uh, but I now be able to say that is 512. Oh, we're not live. So, Don't worry. This is pre-recorded. <laughs> right. No, well, that's fine. Uh, so that uh, eight times eight times eight. So that's eight to the third power is 512. Mm. So the number of three-note melodies that are an octave in a diatonic scale, there are only 512 combinations of that three-note me melody. There's okay. do, 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 there's do, do, re, do, do, mi, do, do, fa, yeah. um, and there's only 512 of those. So the odds of accidentally landing on a three-note melody on the diatonic scale is a one in 512. Mm, okay, that seems slightly more plausible. It does, yeah. and then if you go to four-note melody, right, it's a little, little more, and then, but then you also have what are, um, so uh, if you have a melody that's do, 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 nobody's going to listen to it, right? Mm. And same, same with do, 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 right? Nobody's going to listen to it. Uh, so there are only a subset of those that are actually uh, inherently pleasing, aesthetically mm. pleasing. 
and so really of that 512, um, how, how, what subset are aesthetically pleasing? And the odds of landing on those aesthetically pleasing ones are much higher. Hmm. Okay. So then, theoretically, has anyone has anyone actually approached you from from the from the music world um, about this? Like, so anyone from I don't know some like big record labels or or uh, music producers or artists have they have they approached you about this idea or about Indeed, well, uh, sure. idea what you've done? Yes. Uh, so uh, after the talk uh, became very popular, and at this point, it's had 1.5 million views. Uh, so it's become very popular. Um, I've been invited into a music industry group uh, that where the large music industry executives from Sony Music, from uh, Disney Music, from YouTube, from Spotify, uh, we all gather and discuss uh, affairs of the day, including uh, including copyrights, including technology and music and how it affects each other. So I've been able to uh, be able to uh, rub elbows, if you will, and be able to talk about the implications of my project and many other projects with some of the biggest leaders in the music industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been really fortunate that way to be able to uh, get to know, uh, for example, uh, the former chief economist of Spotify, uh, the guy who figures out how music is going to make money, uh, and be able to talk about how my project uh, might improve uh, the work uh, that uh, musicians are doing these days. So mm -hmm. that's all of a way of saying yes. I've been uh, very fortunate to be able to talk with some of the largest legal luminaries as well as musical luminaries. Mm. There's probably quite a lot of artists that are, are uh, hoping that you do end up making this uh, legal precedent, I would say, in the future. Although I'm not sure if it would retro uh, retroactively force them to not, like, if your case, because I'm thinking about, into, I'm thinking about uh, one of my favorite bands, Oasis, who have been famous for uh, allegedly plagiarizing melodies from people and have been sued successfully a number of times, actually. Uh, including uh, by Stevie Wonder, who made them remove one of the tracks, or well, his his demand for royalties was too high, and made them remove one of the tracks on the What's the Story Morning Glory album. Um, but so would that like affect cases that have already gone ahead and happened? Uh, so it's uh, funny that you'd ask because before my talk, uh, pretty much every "You Stole My Melody" lawsuit defendant has lost. And the reason for that is because uh, of the subconscious infringement that mm -hmm. I talked about earlier. That, um, like, for example, uh, in the case of George Harrison, George Harrison told the court, I've never heard the chiffon song before in my life. And the judge says, I, I believe you, George Harrison, that you've never heard that song before in your life. Uh, but what I think you did is you subconsciously infringed that you have, you don't remember hearing it, but you did hear it. Uh, therefore, you're subconsciously infringed. Uh, the problem with that is that uh, there is no way to prove a negative. Yeah, philosophically and logically, there's no way to prove that you've never heard something and never heard it over the radio, never heard it in a friend's car, never heard it in the supermarket. Um, so anyway, so before my before my talk, every defendant lost because of this problem of never being able to prove a negative. Every defendant has lost. lost. So Katy Perry, for example, uh, lost $2.8 uh, million on a Tuesday. Uh, and that's what the jury verdict was. My TED talk was on a Saturday. Uh, and so my TED talk, um, the melody that Katy Perry got sued over was, uh, this is literally the melody, dun, 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 really simple melody, just descending scale, dun, 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 dun. That data set, uh, that, I'm sorry, that melody shows up in my 68 billion data set 8,128 times. So the question is, uh, is, as I alluded in my talk, should we give that person that sued Katy Perry monopoly for life of the author plus 70 years for something that my computer cranked out uh eight uh, 300 000 melodies per second 
Uh, and uh, we made 8,000 of those things in my data set. Um, so maybe we shouldn't do that. So anyway, so my talk, uh, jury verdict on Tuesday, my talk was uh, done on Saturday, released a few months later. Um, after my talk was released and became very popular, that judge reversed the jury verdict, essentially using the arguments that I was making in my talk. Wow. Uh, my talk was saying essentially there are only so many melodies and we, you know, there's uh, the odds of accidentally landing on them is so high that we shouldn't for trite melodies like dun, 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 uh, we shouldn't give somebody a monopoly. So she made that argument and she made that as a matter of law, uh, which has actually reversed that judge's previous discussion as a matter of law. Uh, she had denied it as a matter of law earlier in the case, but then granted it as a matter of law later in the case after my TED talk. Uh, similarly, the Led Zeppelin case. Uh, happened after my TED talk and essentially used the same arguments as I did, saying that there are only so many melodies and uh, this is a not uh, a uh, not a creative enough melody to be copyrightable. Um, importantly, on the UK side of it, uh, Ed Sheeran's case, he he uh, released a statement afterward, and you could have essentially taken his statement from my TED talk, saying <laughs> there are only so many melodies. There are only so many melodies, especially in pop music, uh, and the odds of uh, overlapping are very high. And that's the argument I've been making. So anyway, so even though I haven't had a court case with my particular project, my arguments have been resonating with juries and judges uh, around the world. Yeah, well, I'm sure artists are probably pleased that they have an argument in this sort of case now um, or someone to like refer to even, you know. Um, is there any other area of like copyright or creative arts where subconscious infringement is is a, like a... a exists as a as a legal concept that's right and that's what really stuck in my craw that i think the answer to that is no and and when i first studied copyright law as a law student um this idea i thought you know in every other element of law intent matters um you know if i if i punch you in the face yes. that's much different than me accidentally brushing up against you because i did not intend to do that right so, so intent the, the in every act, you need the actus reus and the mens rea right the mens rea right exactly mm -hmm. but uh, but in this essentially it's it's taking away the intent uh from it and that seems like you know george harrison is guilty whether he knew it or not and mm -hmm. so that um that really uh i i I think is unique in the copyright. And I think it was wrongly decided in the 1970s when it was decided. So hopefully my project and with the uh, Katy Perry case and Led Zeppelin case and Ed Sheeran case, that maybe that's being remedied now. Mm. That's great. So is there a number of notes that you believe, like, so your argument is like based around the idea that like within a certain number of notes, there is only so many like melodies that you can find within like the um, diatonic, I think it was the diatonic scale you said. Yeah. Um, so then is there a number of notes that you would consider to be the amount that becomes something that you should be able to copyright? Like if you have a 48 note melody, should right. you be able to copyright that or like a hundred note melody? That is a fine question. And so, um, and that goes to a lot of objections that I've heard after my talk is that they said, okay, diatonic, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, mm -hmm. um, that only does the white notes on the piano. Uh, what about the black notes? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, really, that was just version one was mm -hmm. the diatonic scale. Version two was to be able to add the black notes. So I added the chromatic scale. So 13 notes up, uh, and then we went 10 notes across repeated. Uh, and then somebody said, well, how about rhythm? And so then what I did was I added a note that was silence, a rest, which incorporated rhythm. That if you have rest, beat, beat, rest, beat, beat, that is now rhythm incorporated. So really any uh, any permutation of any melody is just adding more, uh, more of those um, parameters 
to the thing. If you want a 48, uh, I can make a 48 string. I could do, you know, uh, you know, the pentatonic scale to the 48 in the number of notes, and I could crank those things out from a computer. And so really the question is, should we, goes back to your earlier point is, should we as musicians be thinking of this as our property? That is only I can use this melody that maybe by the way, somebody else may have used 50 years ago, by the, mm. by the way, somebody may have used 200 years ago. Um, should I essentially have a monopoly on this melody? And what if I, this thing that I'm so proud of, this melody that I just created in 2022, what if Bach created that in the 1600s? Um, should I, as a 2022 person, be able to steal that from the public domain? Should I essentially reprivatize something that was public domain for hundreds of years? And I think the answer, most people would answer, well, no. I mean, if it's Bach and it's public domain, um, just because maybe I haven't heard Bach doesn't mean that nobody's heard Bach, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so why should, why should anyone get to privatize for their life plus 70 years as a monopoly on something that Bach did a bunch of years ago? So mm -hmm. all of that's to say, to your question is, is there a melody that's long enough to be copyrightable? Maybe not, because should we even be able to sue over melodies in the first place? Or should they be like chords? Should they be like drum beats? Should they be something that, you know, the song is the compilation of melody plus rhythm, plus chord structure, plus timbre, plus lyrics, plus all those things. So all of those things together, yeah, let's copyright the crap out of that. And if somebody steals all of those things as a bundle, mm. yeah, they should be held accountable. But if anyone steals any one of those things in isolation, just the melody, or just the drum beat, or just the chord structure, maybe that's fine. Mm. So then, so right, this was my next question, actually, I, I, like you, you've alluded to this. So say someone steals a song almost in its entirety, right? So they have the exact melody the whole way through, same arrangement, same, like, uh, same uh, tempo, same sort of production style, everything except the lyrics. And it's like, it's like someone does In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins, but just changes all the words. Is that fine under your like proposal for like how we well, should deal with all of this? There's a name for what you described, and that's called parody. Well, right? yes. uh, so that's that's a weird Al Yankovic has made a career out of what mm. you just described. Right. And so and uh, and I think the courts have been clear that that is a cover. Right. That is a cover song, whether you change, you know, uh, Weird Al Yankovic did a cover of it, but changed the words. Therefore, it is uh, it is still that song. Mm. It is just a parody of that song or it is a cover of that song. So I think the well, law is well settled that if I just change the lyrics. Yeah, I've, I've infringed that copyright. OK. So. Can your system technically be applied to any other area of copyright law? Is like there any other part of, of uh, or is, is, is this like such a unique situation that you, you don't feel that there's anywhere else that requires this kind of like wholesale I think, change? I think, yeah, I think music is relatively unique uh, in that the mathematics is so much more, so much smaller mm -hmm. than other areas. So for example, language, uh, the, I told you that the, um, the musical uh, mathematics is do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, eight, mm -hmm. and then the three note melody is three. So that's eight to the third power. Um, the combinatorial mathematics of language is that there are, I think, 700,000 words in the English language. So any three uh, word phrase is 700,000 to uh, cubed, uh, that is to the third power, um, which is, uh, you know, trillions and trillions of them, right? Uh, much more than the 512 uh, that there would be in a diatonic three note melody. So anyway, so that's all to say that uh, the mathematics on mathem uh, on music is so much smaller, 512, than they are in 
either language, which is trillions for three uh, or for um, for art, uh, uh, visual art, which, you know, there's it's difficult to be able to exhaust every visual art that could ever be uh, that would be in the trillions. So anyway, so that's all a way of saying that I think music uh, is unique in that there are only so many combinations. Like what, what, what brought you to this in the first place? Like, how did how did you stumble upon this idea? Um, well, it's, it's, and this probably is going to be have to be my last answer because I have to leave in, in two minutes. That's but, right. Uh, then, but, then finish this, and then we'll. we'll all right. do. Awesome. So, um, so I was uh, I was working on a very large project uh, in a cybersecurity project, and uh, we had finished a twelve hour day, and I was thinking about this. Uh, I, I said to my friend in the lobby of a hotel bar, um, I said, "You know how we can brute force passwords?" And he said, "Yeah." I said, "What if we could brute force music? What if we could, you know, do that?" And my very brilliant collaborator, Noah Rubin, uh, who I wish was here on our, our podcast today, but Noah said, yeah, I think I could do that. And within an hour or so, he had created a prototype where he had cranked out uh, tens of thousands of melodies uh, and be able to do that. So um, it started uh, in a cybersecurity engagement uh, in a hotel bar. Well, I mean, Everett, well, that's that's quite the place to start. I mean, that is exactly where you'd want it to start. Like great ideas. What if I could do this while you're sat at the bar? Yeah, that's right. We didn't quite do it in the hotel napkin, but it was pretty close. Anyway, Damien, uh, I really want to thank you for your time. I will put links uh, for your TED Talk and uh, some of your stuff uh, in the description below for people. Um, but thanks very much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. All right, I'm really grateful to talk to you, Josh. Thank you for so much for having me on. No problem. Thanks. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. If you want to leave us a comment, that would be awesome. Please like, share, subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review. Until next time. Thanks for listening.